Everybody is murderous in their intentions towards everybody else. I can't hold them back. Submit yourself to one all-powerful absolute sovereign. Thomas Hobbes, the great 17th century natural philosopher, called this. I like shapeshifters, only a lot more in the Eastern folk. And nothing can kill them. Hello the internet and welcome to the Lands of Leviathan podcast, a member of the Agora podcast network, where we discuss political science and popular culture, as always hosted by Peter Sleeman and Brock Rodham. Today we're going to be discussing one of the fundamental parts of political science, uh, something we haven't got to yet, but it makes up a big part of political analysis, which is political ideology. Um, and I think that a lot of people, a lot of lay people who aren't political scientists, have an idea of what ideologies are, but they're not exactly sure what they mean. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about what ideologies are and what ideologies mean and all of that. So we're going to be delving if, into it. But before we get to that, let's do our podcaster of the month. And once again, because we are uh, actually putting out more episodes now, it is still Elias Spell Haddad. Um, and the History of Islam podcast. Um, this podcast analyzes, obviously, the history of Islam, how it um, coincides with the West, how it interacts with Western ideology, as well as um, Islamic ideology, and how Islam itself was built up in the Middle Eastern region and spread across the world. Obviously, this is an interesting thing to look at, guys, because it has such an impact on our world today, especially in the wake of Donald Trump. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and and also the one could say that uh, um, Islamic ideology is also a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so maybe we should consider that as one of the more marginal ideologies that are used in political analysis. Yep. So um, I think before we uh, jump into the actual meat of the of the theories, uh, like ideologies are is a huge subsection of political science and uh you know there are some political scientists who devote their entire careers to studying sometimes ideologies in general uh sometimes one ideology in particular so uh what brock and i have decided to do is we're probably going to be doing a, a bit of a series on this 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 episode will discuss ideologies so um in order to give you guys the best idea of ideologies in general and specific ideologies in particular we're going to be doing a bit of a series discussing in this episode, what ideologies are and how they've grown and changed. Um, and then later on, we'll be going into specific ideologies, probably the big ones, um, conservatism, uh, liberalism, libertarianism, anarchism, obviously uh, communism and Marxism and maybe socialism, if we get there. And maybe we'll do an episode on the fringier ideologies like progressivism, uh I don't know, hippianism. Deconstructivism. <laughs> Deconstructivism. Deoism. Uh, Confucianism is probably a good one to get into if we want to look at um, the Eastern Do side. And obviously... Um, feminism. Yeah. Green, and obviously we will probably ideology. do an episode on... Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, Stalinism. Uh, yeah, femi- feminism. There's a feminist political ideology, although it's very close to Marxism. Um, probably Islamic political ideology. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 try and get into as much as we can. And what, Trumpism, Trumpism, that Trumptasticness. <laughs> but I think Star, what would Star, be cool, Star Warsism, Star Warsism, Battlestar Galactic, Star Trekism, <laughs> the Trekksters. Yeah. Uh, what yeah, would yeah. be cool is um, because this this episode is going to be an overarching look at the entire field. Once you guys listen to this and you feel that there's one ideology you'd like us to really hammer down into, send us an email and we could add it to our list in this um, in in this series, which would be cool. Um, but let's get into it. So, Brock. So, I can't believe it's taken us over a year to actually start talking about political ideologies because it's one of the first things you learn about as a political scientist. Mm. It's a, you know, it's like philosophy. It's something that we use to look at things. It's a tool and it's it's constituted of by a certain set of beliefs about human behavior. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's difficult to talk about political science or learn about political science without first learning about ideologies mm. and the sets of assumptions that each ideology carries that help us break down the question of how should we organize ourselves as a society. Mm. Yeah. So, so an ideology then helps us sort of not just 
describe but also explain why certain phenomena occur and how we can manipulate them in order to improve society. Mm. So if we have, say, for example, um, a very negative perception of human behavior and of human nature, then we know we need to cut down on those things that enhance the negativity. We need to prevent harm. We need to regulate society that stops violence. We need to make, ensure that people feel secure. Um, so it, it brings to the fore the values of security and of law and of order, um, whereas an ideology that perhaps is more positive about human interaction and human cooperation would perhaps focus more on values such as peace, um, that what bring what is the most harmonious way in, in order to manage society? How do we construct um, very uh, how do we ensure markets bring about the most lucrative gains for people mm. and uh, and those kinds of things? So um, so we'll see that and in between, you know and everything in between. But those yeah. are the, when we start to think about these sets of assumptions about um, along the lines of human nature, you're obviously going it's obviously going to be set in a spectrum between positive assumptions about humans and negative assumptions. Yeah. And you, you're free to disagree with me here, but the people or the ideology that views humans and their interactions negatively and expects humans to behave in the worst way possible all the time are conservatives. Mm. And the, on the opposite side, the hopefuls and the optimists are liberals. Um, so liberalism embodies the optimism and the hope that surrounds human so, human society. Yeah, and I think, well, I think at, the, at its basic format, like, you know, if you ask somebody, okay, well, you know, what is an ideology? You know, obviously ideologies don't have to be political. Um, ideologies is, you know, at its, at its essence is an idea of the way things are. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure you could break down the word from its Greek. Uh, which I'm not going to do because it makes me sound like an idiot. Um, <laughs> but it's, a, you know, you, you don't have to have a political ideology. You have a religious ideology. Certain religions have their own ideologies. That's the, the view of the world. You have philosophical ideologies. It's just that, uh, the term ideology has become almost synonymous with political, with, with a political set of ideas. But at the, at the end of the day, uh, the reason, it's just a set of ideas. Yeah, the reason that human beings have ideologies um, is because of the fact that we can't spend all of our time working through things from first principles. So whenever something happens in your world, you can't go, okay, so now this is why that person did that and this is why this other person, because it'll take too long. You have to have a set of rules and guidelines that allow you to make decisions relatively quickly. So you have moral systems and ide ideological systems and that's what we do. So we make, and at, at their most basic set is they are assumptions about, I agree with you that there are assumptions about human nature, but there are also assumptions about what are goods, you know, what, what are not goods as in things, like what are good things. So there are assumptions about what is the good human life, for instance, is a, is a big part yeah. of ideologies. So like what yeah. you said, I think what you said about conservatism versus uh, liberalism is, is correct. Um, but on, uh, there's another part of it as well is that, uh, you know, conservatism sees something that has survived for a certain period of time as being intrinsically valuable. Uh, so if something has lasted for a certain period of time, it, that thing must have some some kind of value. Therefore, we shouldn't be so quick to discard it. Uh, liberals are progressives in that they are, you know, if we find something better, we should immediately discard the past and embrace the thing that is good. Uh, so, you know, and then that's that's the way they that's that's their rule book. For the world. So when a liberal, when a doctor has just come, runs out into the street shouting Eureka and says like, Oh, I've, I've, uh, cured cancer. Uh, then the liberals will immediately, uh, you know, that my caricature of a liberal will say, <laughs> uh, Oh, cool. That's awesome. Um, you are, let's do it. Let's get the cancer treatment out there. Everybody, cancer's cured. A conservative might be like, Whoa, whoa hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, uh, let's just wait a bit. Let's do some tests and let's not get rid of our current, uh, our, our current kind of thinking and, and just implement this new thing. Um, and I, I'm sure that uh, we'll be getting into it, but I'm sure as you can see that both sides could have negative ramifications. Um, so Brock, 
I think like this would make more sense. Like, what do you think would be people's biggest misunderstandings of uh, of what an, what ideologies are like today in in popular culture? So, in popular culture, uh, it's sort of like it's sort of like the word philosophy. When people say I have a philosophy or what is your philosophy, they're normally asking the question of what is your approach to life? What are your fundamental assumptions or beliefs about life? Can you summarize them in a short statement or phrase? So they'd say like, oh, my life philosophy is, you know, to live to the fulfillment of happiness or some heavy bullshit. Like that. <laughs> and when actually a philosophy is a constructed case of a set of arguments or criteria or claims that you make in order to uh, ground your worldview in. So yeah. you could almost say ideologies is like a set, it's like a type of philosophy. You could, it's, you, it's tough to come up with a set of ideas without mm. first having a philosophical perception of those of it. But anyway, let's not complicate things too much. Let's say in popular culture, the way that um, philosophy is treated is a sort similar sort of way in which ideology is treated. It's it's treated sort of strictly in a political sense, and it's re- and it's reduced to its almost its negative um, uh, all, all its negative connotations. Mm. So normally, when things go bad in politics, people blame ideology. They say that someone has been has had a narrow mind, uh, that a particular politician or representative has not consulted a wide set of worldviews or um, taken arguments from different perspectives, and they've been more ideological. Mm. So they they antipose um, ideology with with understanding and mm. with a well-grounded, prudent set of uh, political practices. Mm. So, so uh, yeah, in, in popular culture, ideology has become a very dense, narrow-minded, restrictive view of the world. I think that's so interesting because... It's always when they use the term ideological, you know, they oftentimes in like the political thrillers, they'll call the bad, you know, the bad guy who's standing on a podium is, is an ideologue. Um, but if you look at, uh, Civil War, for instance, the most ideological character in, in that film is Captain America. He has a very strict. No, it's Tony Stark. No, I, no, like, no, but I mean, like, from a real scientific point of view, Tony Stark yeah, is. Tony Stark. No, Tony Stark's a pragmatist. He's doing what he thinks is is pragmatist. Are we going to have an argument about this now? Um, <laughs> okay, this is my view. So, to, so um, Captain America has a very strong set of moral principles and ideas about how the world works. He believes and assumes that if that people are generally good, and that when freedom is threatened, that people need to have the freedom to go and act. And that if he sees somebody in danger, he should have the freedom to save those people. Tony Stark is a pragmatist. He is like, well, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but we have to look at what's happening in the world. We have a whole bunch of death caused by your actions. Therefore, we need to make these concessions. So, and and Captain America is like, hells to the no. I will not make concessions because my ideology does not allow me to make those concessions. Uh, my ideology is strong. I don't think that Tony Stark necessarily adheres to any given ideology. He's a, he's a pragmatist. He deals with whatever, you know, I think that his reaction to different events would be different based on whatever's happening at the time rather than a general rule. I mean, I still think that Captain America was right, although I don't know. No, don't get into that. But you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Do you, do you agree or disagree? Um, in the sense, no, I, I agree with you in the sense that Captain America sticks to his ideology more. I think it's more consistent. But that's not to say that I still think Tony Stark is very ideological, just that it changes. So he is, he has a pragmatic implementation of his sets of ideas. Um, when he is feeling insecure, um, and world saving and more like Iron Man, he's more prone to, you know, develop some sort of, um, Snappy, uh, intelligent technological force that will be used to be, that'll be used to ensure the security of the world because he believes in protecting the world from itself and from villains and people things that people don't necessarily understand like a you know an army of Viscari or, yeah. or ice giants or something. Um, so he, he, his implementation is pragmatic, but his sets of ideas are very influential. He um, you know, he he obeys his uh, ideological thoughts a lot. If he's, uh, if he's motivated by his conscience to the death that the Avengers have caused, he feels very strongly about protecting the world and, and showing the security of the people against the Avengers. And he doesn't feel that it's, uh, necessary for them to be running around 
doing whatever they want to do because it could risk people's lives. So that's still an ideologically motivated decision. So like, what character would you say is not ideological? I mean, not necessarily in Civil War, like any character that's not ideologically motivated. Natasha Romano. Mm, yeah, I suppose. She does everything. She's just kind of doing it because it's her job, yeah? She's very loyal to her compatriot, uh, to her, her colleagues. She works mm. very well on that team. But I don't think she's beholden to any set of particular principle. Yeah, and I think, but I, I do, and and to bring it back to the point you've made previously, I think you're right. You know, like we would call Emperor Palpatine. He's an ideologue. You know, I mean, it's very easy to make the argument that he's just power hungry, but he has a very definite view of how the universe should be run, um, i.e. by him. But, you know, also he's got his Sith upbringing and he's very like, you know, there, there should be only two and he's got Darth Vader and he's got a very specific set of views on the, how the universe should work. And we call him an ideologue. Yeah. Luke Skywalker also has an ideology. He's, you know, he's got the Jedi thing going on. He believes in priests and freedom and all of that stuff. But it's, I would say it's rare in a movie to call him an ideologue, even though he's just as much of an ideologue as, uh, as, um, Emperor Palpatine is. I, yes, I agree with you about Emperor Palpatine. They, but this discussion is, is dangerous because it lends itself to the misperception, the misconception that you're either ideological or you're not. Mm. Everybody has an ideology. It's just that some people show it more. They live closer to it than others. It's like saying, um, oh, you know, you, you're not a very good person. You can't have a, philosoph- a life philosophy. No, everybody's got a life philosophy. It's just that maybe for someone, they don't implement it very well or they don't live very close to it. They don't enact it a lot. Mm. It's, um, which is, you know, which is one of the, the reasons I have such a strong opinion about shutting down debates in public forum or saying that certain arguments can't be used because they're a religious type of argument. It's that, it, mm. to, in, in my opinion, everybody's got a, a first principle that comes from somewhere. And if it, you know, if someone wants to use it because it comes from uh, a religious-based book or somebody wants to use their argument because it, for them, their first principle comes from the way that they were raised or their first principle comes from their cultural tradition, it, I don't think it's fair to say that you, you can allow certain first principles and you can't allow others. Um, so, so in the same way, everybody's got an ideology. Just need to be careful of saying who implements it very well. It's, you know, because it, it, it's so easy to see that. Take Donald Trump. You know, in our last episode, we discussed how well he espoused the ideas of fear and how mm. well he communicated those to the mass of people who had been, who feared the, the insecurity of a more rural lifestyle in the United States. Um, that's not to say that somebody who doesn't share that fear or doesn't support him doesn't have an ideology. Oh, no, sure. I, I agree with you. But I, I, that's interesting as well because one of the things about an ideology is that an ideology is a shared belief system, if you if you want to call it that, or a shared um, idea of how the world works. It's not a singular individualistic moral system. Um so I, I think that's one of the defining characteristics of, of an ideology is that it's shared by a number of people. So, I mean, I have a moral system that's internal to myself. Obviously, there are shared moral systems, but I can have an individualistic moral system. I don't think that I can have an individual... I don't know. Like, I think it's a contradiction of the term almost to say that I have an individualized ideology. It's possible from a very strict definitional sense of the term, but I would, from a political point of view, the very fact that it's a political ideology, and given that politics is about group work, it has to be a shared ideology. So, like, bringing up somebody yeah. like Trump, I wonder how much Trump has a, uh, adheres to a shared ideology. I mean, I think he pays a lot of lip service to specific ideologies, but he seems to jump around. Uh, from, you know, whatever's suiting him at the time. Like, I wonder, it's very difficult to say, but I wonder how much he personally believes in one or the other ideology. I think, he, yeah, I think he's a bit of an ideological prostitute. I think he'll lend himself <laughs> to which, <laughs> to whichever ideology is popular for the majority of American people. But, you know, many presidential candidates can be accused of the same thing. Mm. Um, it's just that, I, he's got a very good script writer. Um, and when I say good, I don't mean positive. That you know, not a moral good. I mean, good as in it's su- successful, mm. maybe for all the wrong reasons. But, um, is, yeah, so he's good at espousing or representing the, the views of common Americans. Mm. But, um, but that, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you. I don't think he would, 
it's easy to say that he or any other person can have a very individualized ideology by the nature of um, of political science and sharing ideas and having a body of ideas that allows us to make assumptions about the world, we have to share quite a lot. Mm. So the ideology in this point, I do agree with you, the ideology does need to be shared between large groups. Mm. It's just, it's very difficult for, for people to accept that because I, I, I don't think I've ever met a solid 100% libertarian or a absolutely 100% pure conservative. Mm. Um, you know, I think it, it's perhaps easier for other people, perhaps some of the listeners, to understand me as a conservative, but yet I would, you know, I have great trouble describing myself as that because there, there's so many influential tenets of the, of the, of liberalism that I, you know, that I agree with. Mm. Um, so you do, each person will mix and match the different tenets to make up what they consider their political worldview. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that don't, don't be afraid of placing yourself in an ideological camp. If you want to find a more personalized way of expressing your political beliefs, maybe say you've got a particular worldview. Mm. It's far more easy. It's easier to justify a personalized or a customized worldview because there you can mix and match and play with certain um, uh, tenets or certain perceptions of how the world works or the way it should work. Mm. Um, but then again, you know, this this is all semantics. This is all for us to understand what the word ideology means and how it's used. Mm. And I think that, you know, I'd like to get on to the origins of ideologies, a bit of the history of it. But before we do that, um, I think, you know, human beings, we love narratives. You know, we love stories. I mean, that that's how we make sense of the world as well. You know, it's a, it's a cognitive coping mechanism because the world doesn't work in narratives. The world is chaos and just a lot of random stuff happening for seemingly no reason and obviously it's the human brain is designed to try and make sense of that that's why we're uh you know that's why we're the top of the food chain because we can do that but that also means that we we tend to want to place our opponents in a bad guy camp and we put ourselves in the good guy camp you know everybody's the hero of their own story so when we look at, and the liberals are, liberals are great at this. I suppose everybody's good at this, but liberals are good at, or they, they, because liberalism has, has kind of had a big success in the last 30 years. Um, you know, so they've, they've managed to make a lot of noise, but you paint somebody as a, a conservative has almost become a slur now. You know, oh, you're just a conservative. It's like, well, yeah, imagine how I feel when you call me a conservative. You're <laughs> not doing our Lands of the Bison podcast much justice. Yeah, and well, that's. A, I mean, I, I would hope that our listeners, actually, please, listeners, um, I, I would hope that our <laughs> listeners would be smart enough to realize that when I say I am a liberal and Brock is a conservative, I'm not saying I am good and Brock is bad. Obviously, but that's the way mainstream media would interpret it. But that is that is the way, and especially liberal mainstream media would interpret it because you know, two my my two favorite political philosophers are Michael Oakeshott and Francis Fukuyama. They 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 form the basis of a lot of the work I do. Both of both of them are considered conservative political theorists. But if and I I would highly recommend you guys go out and read them. If you read them, you would be like, oh wait, these guys are standing for like individual freedom and you know have no problem with gay rights or abortion or anything like that. They're conservative political theorists because they have very strong underlying perceptions of political philosophy. So ideas about like natural law and things like that, which you need to sit down and explain to somebody or have a discussion before you can Which reach... we'll get into. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, But not in this episode. Well, not in this episode. Well, maybe we'll, we'll start touching on some stuff before we get into the big stuff. But, I, you know, I think what, what else is interesting is that I don't know. I don't know if you agree with me on this, but ideologies that I, I, I sometimes like to imagine them as kind of also a survival of the fittest um, Darwinian thing, you know. Because uh, I see it as a high school popularity contest. Yeah, I mean, but also in that high school, you know, the kind of the kids are getting killed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because, I mean, there used to be so many more ideologies. Uh, you know, conservatism and liberalism have survived for a very long time now. And, um, Marxism has managed to, to just keep, keep going despite its, its, uh, its attacks for so long. No, um, I think it's morphed. It's, it, it, let's, let's stick with socialism for now. 
Yeah, it's evolved is, is probably yeah. a good... But, I mean, there used to be so many more. I mean, anarchism was huge at the beginning yeah, of, the, of the 1900s and, and late 1800s. It Anar- actually yeah, became popular with... Um... Uh, Peter Kropotkin. He was the father of anarchism. So I think, you know, like looking at the at the history of ideologies and even going back before anarchism, you know, there was in the, in the East, there was a big fight between Confucianism and Daoism, um, which Confucianism kind of won. I imagine that in the East, there, there was a, there were many, many more ideologies that were probably destroyed. But I think I, and I, I'd like your input on this. The, uh, the reason that they die is because, ideologies provide a way of, of us to look at the world like so h- how does the world work and it allows our politicians to then make correct decisions so okay people are genuinely good therefore our policy should be this well let's discuss the, the death of certain ideologies or the merging of big ideologies and their success along the lines of the narrative i think it's important to to mention the the narrative and how we make humans make a narrative out of everything and ideologies are, are a very useful tool for constructing and destroying narratives, mm-hmm. um, because it, because they sort of describe everything as a, a beauty contest or um, a high school popularity contest. Mm. They help us place things, people, and their ideas into camps. And when we existed on the globe with, in much smaller communities, it was easier to form more customized. Can I say? Uh, more culturally unique sets of ideas. And so we had many more ideologies. The way that the world has grown together now, and we, 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 we're searching for more commonalities to share with each other and really trying to reduce the differences. But the differences that do exist have become bigger and more divisive. So we see a subsumption of many small ideologies into bigger ones, like, you know, like Leninism into Marxism, into socialism, mm-hmm. um, like Maoism, into communism, into socialism. Mm. Um, although I don't think that last step has taken place yet. But the, the effort of humans to identify with a particular group, and this is traditional social identity theory, that we find it so necessary to see, like, so to put this in a, to come back to popular culture, since that's actually what we're supposed to be discussing in our podcast, <laughs> and not giving an ideology lecture, <laughs> um, <laughs> say like, I'm a Battlestar Galactica fan, and I believe in the militarized, ordered s- structure of society in order to s- ensure the security and survival of my small s- group uh, in outer space. But I've noticed that there haven't been any big Disney uh, BSG films lately, and, you know, Chris Pine and J.J. Abrams are making the likes of Star Trek and Star Wars very popular at the theater. Mm. So I'm going to find, I'm going to decide, I'm going to watch Star Trek and Star Wars, I'm going to see which one shares more similarities with my particular worldview as a BSG fan. Mm. And if I think that Star Trek and its, you know, exploration of space with the, with the Enterprise um, is slightly more scientific and uh, militarized and therefore something I could share in common with, with uh, you know, with those fans then I might warp or change or, or evolve my worldview or my ideology of um, sci-fi fantasy into being a Star Trek fan. And therefore, I would join that camp. Um, and then from there, I would sort of shun or just uh, discreetly de- <laughs> deny the existence of Star Wars fans and the success, and the success of, them, of those stories. Mm. Um, so that's what I'm talking about when, when we use narratives to, to subsume our ideas into greater... Um, ideological popularity and we, use, and, we, and we see this happening now more with globalization and the mm. spread of ideas and we use the we use those narratives as well to to tell the story of the conflict um like the, there's a really interesting stat uh, that came out I, I read an article on it recently you can track the whether zombies or vampires are going to be uh that period's big monster depending on who's in office in America. If it's a Republican, it'll be zombies. If it's a Democrat, it'll be vampires. And obviously there's probably a lot more causal factors in this, but there was an article published on why this might be the case. And zombies provide a very good analogy 
of the way that liberals look at conservatives. They're mindless. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, listen to the way that conservatives, you know, express their views on, on, I mean, liberals express their views on conservatives. They're mindless consumerist drones who just do the bidding of the, you know, alpha party and, and that's what zombies are. Like originally, Ramiro zombies were a metaphor for uh, for mindless consumerism. Eventually, they became they're a metaphor for whoever is the mindless whatever. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a zombie. I'm and you know what? I'm actually predicting this. Here's a prediction: during the Trump Trump presidency, there will be a zombie movie which shows uh, shows zombies as fucking hipsters or whatever. You know, just some mindless consumers, but. Then you get a Democrat in office and suddenly vampires get big. Twilight was big during, um, during the Obama administration and Rice's vampires were big during the Clinton administration. And because vampires provide a really good way that conservatives view liberals, they're often, they're blood sucking fucking leeches on society just with their hand out and they're effeminate, they have no discernible, you know, gender ah. norms um, and oftentimes they're goddamn And foreigners. they sleep all day. And they, they sleep all day, they don't do any work, they suck the blood so I think that the, our, our popular culture shows us these narratives of these uh, these uh, <laughs> ideological fights that are going on as well which is, one way it's pretty cool on the other side, it's 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 a little bit sad because we shouldn't be typecasting people in this way. It's a it's a bit crazy. But it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's true though. Like liberals do, you know, liberals think conservatives are all fucking idiots who just mindlessly <laughs> follow the path. You know, wake up, sheeple. And conservatives look at liberals and be like, you bunch of blood sucking fucking leeches. Get a you know, fucking stop putting your hand out. Wake up. Some work. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, I'm crying. <laughs> uh, but, so, that's brilliant. So, but like, also I'd like to say, I think that because ideologies have, you know, not purposes, but ideolo- ideologies are used in two ways. One, they're used by people like us, the political theorists, especially descriptive political theorists, who don't want to change anything, but just want to describe the system. And they're used as a way to predict things. So if a, if somebody is known as a, as a strong conservative and they take office, it's, pretty easy for a political scientist to look at what conservatism is look at the candidates and say this is what they're likely to do i can make that prediction but because of that set of assumptions we described earlier we can presume certain things exactly but it also from a politician's point of view it sets a set of rules and guidelines of what they should be doing so it means that a politician doesn't necessarily have to give a huge amount of thought to certain policies, um, freeing them up to really pay attention to stuff that needs a lot of thought. So, for instance, a Republican comes into office, there is no fucking question about gun control. It's just like, no. Um, when it comes to changing the education system to incorporate new advanced uh, learning techniques, probably a conservative can fall back on their conservative traditions and say, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Uh, and a liberal, when it comes to environmental policy, would probably be very strong on environmental policy, allowing them to fall back on that set of assumptions. The environment's good. People are generally good. Everything's fine. Um, but because of the fact that ideologies direct policy, the ideologies that create better policies for humans are more likely to survive, don't you think? And ideologies that are not, obviously because they kill people or make society shitty, would just die out as a matter of not being very applicable to human living. Well, you've touched on two very powerful components of ideology there. One is the moralizing force of ideology in that it helps us form um, ideas of what we think is good uh, for society. And in that way, so so in psychology, when we study decision-making patterns, we use a lot of heuristics as humans. And ideology as a set of assumptions provides a strong heuristic force that allows us to bypass, you know, a thorough thought provoking decision making process, like mm. you described earlier. So when we get to those tough, complex situations, like if you, you know, a legal president saying, when I say legal, I mean, say like Obama, you're a president with a, a lawyer's background. You're not necessarily an expert in educational theory or modern educational techniques, but because you identify with the liberal camp, mm. 
mm. um, you're probably more inclined to be adventurous with those new techniques and want to imp- try and implement them. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to think all that much about it. You don't have to become an expert in the educational teaching practices uh, in order to pass that or to write up a bill for it. And the other component is the pragmatism that comes out of ideology. So ideology is like that um, instigating force that is both driven by uh, moral compunction but also finds its way into pragmatic behavior. Mm-hmm. It's not just that we believe that society should be run in a certain way or that certain policies would be good for society or bad, but also that it impels us, uh, compels our leaders and it compels ourselves to do something about it. Mm. it that, and it, it's, it came up earlier when we were talking about everybody's got an ideology, just to, it, it depends on how much you implement it. It's difficult to have an ideology and not uh, live according to it. And you have to be a pretty weak person to not uh, and um, to not use your ideological views uh, as an instigating force for action. Mm. So when we say when we place someone in an ideological camp, it means we get to assume that they're going to perform certain tasks or fulfill certain practices. Mm. Um, we expect Democrats as the more uh, can we say modern liberal camp to immediately implement some sort of kind of regulation control or at least try to um, and that implementation procedure is you know is based on the fact that they have an ideological force behind it mm-hmm. so so to summarize then just remember that I, I, ideology as a as a word or as a term that helps places into camps it's got both a very strong moralizing force and it uh, compels us to certain action mm. certain types of action now so I've just obviously realised that we've done it once again and we've fucking placed this whole thing in American concepts of ideology. And I feel that America has a very strong divide in their ideological systems. Um, do you think but that it's not necessarily a conservative liberal divide? Oh, well, no, because the what even America, what Americans consider to be liberal, Europeans... You know, like, for instance, Bernie Sanders is considered to be super liberal in America. Yeah. He's just considered maybe left of center in in Europe. He's not. I mean, even in in South Africa, Bernie Sanders would just be like, yeah, okay, Bernie. Center. Yeah, Yeah. it's cool, Bernie. You know, it's good. It's all good. Stop shouting at us, you white guy. What are you doing in (laughs) South African politics, you asshole? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for the racial undertones. But that's how it would be in South Africa. Yeah, exactly. But and and that's that's another interesting thing about ideology is that the definition of individual ideologies are different depending on what political association you happen to be in. So a, yeah, a well, liberal in America is not a liberal in, in in Europe. Well, ideological camps, as we alluded to earlier, can be made out of anything because they're just a body of ideas. You can have an ideas about the way trees should be treated. You could have a tree hugging ideology. Mm. Um so, so yes, they, they could come out of any associations that you have, whether, you know, you are a, a member of the Jewish community or, you know, or you're a white person or you're a Mexican person or whatever. If, if, if your ideas as a Mexican person identify very strongly with how you um, feel about Mexican culture and uh, the Mexican national identity, then sure, you can have a Mexican ideology. Mm. Um, it's just that, we don't use those types of ideologies frequently in political science because they don't embody a large number of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are a, a stronger analytical tool when you look at the history that they have with certain ideas about philosophy and political philosophy particularly mm-hmm. uh, and a lot to do with um, natural and political law uh, that yeah. governs society. So, the, I mean, ideologies originated as soon as human beings started being human beings. Um, depending on who you speak to, because you've got your conservative creationists. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, as soon as human beings became human beings, we had to develop ideas of how the world worked. And these ideologies changed as, as we grew up. Obviously, I think probably the first the first idea we have of a political ideology would go back to ancient Greece where, and we only have one because we don't know the others. Oh, well, we've got Ath- uh, Athens. Yeah, the Athenian, Athenian democracy. Athenian democracy, but the, the belief was that every human male over a certain age was uh, was part of the political... The citizen. 
yeah, was, was a citizen, part of the political process, and that good politics can only flow from those type, from, from when everybody participates. Now, that obviously has a whole bunch of assumptions in it. You know, that human, I would imagine that they believed that every citizen was inherently good. Every, obviously, the ancient Greeks believed that human beings were inherently reasonable. Um, so much like modern day uh, economists, that human beings were rational, um, utility maximizers. Uh, and that's a, that's an ancient Greek ideology. Obviously, uh, just across from Athens would have been Sparta, which had a very different ideology, an ideology based on strength. Um, and the assumption was that strength should rule. And that's, that, that, that was an ideology that they had. And, and those two ideologies eventually came into conflict with each other. And who won? I think this, no, the Athenians won. The Athenians won that conflict. Um, but did they win that because they're, their um, ideology was better. Mm, it's no. difficult. I mean, it's difficult to say. What we can say is Athens won because their economic system allowed allowed them to field a larger army. You know, there was probably a bit of luck involved, but maybe their ideology was better at running a polis or a state at the time, and that allowed them to win against the the Spartans. But you know, the Spartan ideology died at that point, and the the ancient Greek. The, or now we consider Athenian democracy. That's the ancient Greek. But who knows how many ideologies there were around uh, Greece at the time. And obviously that got transported into Roman civic republicanism, which is still well and uh, is still alive and well today, uh, you know, in, in certain places. Hannah Arendt, uh, the political yeah. scientist, was a huge advocate of of, of uh, civic republicanism, which originated in ancient Rome. So you can see how these ideologies warp and spread. I mean, the, the, the Christian church was hugely instrumental in the maintaining of the idea of the civic republic, which, you know, went from Rome to the Christian church, to the Catholic church, eventually to the Italian republics, and then spread across when the, when the Europeans uh, colonized America, that it became part of their political culture and so on and so on. And, I think that the, that, I mean, the, the answer to the question is just why do we have ideologies? Because it, it allows us to make sense of the world. And I do, I, I do ascribe to a certain evolutionary model. It's, it's survival of the fittest. But that being said as well, I think that it's, it's important to state that ideologies are, the ideologies are not static. They're very fluid. And that's one of the things that I think that popular culture has done to damage, uh, the view in the, in the popular, zeitgeist of 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 ideologies because every character in a in a popular culture has their ideology and they stick to it it's like okay this yeah. is this guy he is this and he's not changing uh the emperor yeah. is this luke skywalker is this katniss everdeen is a liberal yeah. freedom fighter she believes in this she's not gonna change uh yeah. the the state has this ideology it's not gonna change unless you overthrow it with revolution yeah yeah. That's in the real world. Ideologies are very fluid. So I, I think a good yeah. example of this is look at the abortion um, issue in the United States. Again, you know, we're going back to the United States, but it's because we have so much data to work with from the United States. But because con conservatives tend in the United States tend towards libertarianism, so they believe that the human uh, person is the happiest when they are left alone by government. Government should be as minimal as possible and should not interfere in the rights of man. When the abortion debate first came up in the United States, many conservatives were pro-abortion because from a, from an ideological perspective, it made perfect sense. They're like, why should the state have a say in what, what a woman can or cannot do with their own body? It was, when conservative tradition in America started to alter to include moralistic tendencies, that 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 altered. And interestingly enough, at the same time, it was the liberals who were anti-abortion because it started to impact on the lives of of individuals, which they considered to be, you know, that the fetus was an individual and the government should protect individual life. But because of the way American politics works, you know, you can only be on one side of a goddamn issue. Once some conservatives took up the pro, uh, the anti-abortion stance, obviously the liberals had to take a pro-abortion stance and you had a calcified system. But that can change. I mean, that, 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 that's very quick. No, yeah, you know, but again, the, the example's crap because the, the American 
uh, ideological system is very uh, disparate and it's very factionalized. Mm. And, you know, each issue brings out certain uh, groups from either side of the unfortunately Democrat-Republican divide, which is not a strict or traditional conservative-liberal divide. So exactly. we need to move away from that. Yes. Um, perhaps you can explain why. But to, to get back to your point about how fluid these ideological schools are, it's, it's, it's important to note that because it, it, it exposes how many different types of societies these uh, old bodies of ideas have encountered. Mm. And yet through all of them, they always um, are used to deal with the same problems, uh, with the same types of problems. Mm. And it's the way in which the uh, the dominant ideology deals with these problems that help either reinforce its explanatory power or diminish its explanatory power to the point where it goes into submission or it goes, you know, it goes dormant or it moves off in the you know, liberalism will probably not be popular in China for many years to come. Yeah. For example. But it still embraces a certain, a certain set of assumptions about human behavior. And this is where I think we, we need to give birth to the different schools, which is that either, and I touched on this earlier at the beginning of the episode, either humans interact in a very violent, conflictual way that is self-preserving and, and self-maximizing, and they seek only to preserve one survival. Mm. Or humans interact in a very cooperative, peace-seeking manner, and it is against their natural order to want to do harm or violence to the other person unless they are threatened. Mm. So you're either going to favor a political system that protects individuals from each other or one that enhances cooperation and seeks to maximize the benefit um, from harmonious exchange. Mm. Um, and it's from these assumptions and about humans and their, and their behavior that gave rise to conservative and liberal ideologies. And like you said, this is, well, like I'm going to say now, it is an extremely oversimplified um, summation of the two schools. And not to say, you know, that uh, there are so many other types of ideologies that did not arise from that debate, but it's still the basis of human nature that is that is given that is sustained the oldest and the biggest ideological schools of political thought that we have today. Yeah, and also you've only you've highlighted two schools of thought, only two schools of thought within two schools of thought almost, because you, you've highlighted the fact that there is a natural system. In, in the way that humans work and we need to yeah. either either protect against that or protect it. There are conservatives yeah. known as progressives who say there is no such thing as natural law. There is no such yeah. thing as a natural state of human beings. And there are liberals on the other side who say the same thing, but they come at it from two d- very different points of view. Yeah. And then you've got all the other assumptions. Is conflict endemic in human nature or is it yeah. created by the system? And yeah. should we be conserving our, you know, should we respect our legal system just because it's our legal system or not? Yeah. Um, and these should, should there be, should there be a hierarchical organization of power in order to deal with these conflicts? Yeah. You know, to which, to which anarchists would say, no, they shouldn't. And that's, and that's where we start to get into, because I do think you're right that this, the conflict between liberalism and conservatism gave birth to a lot of other ideologies. So anarchism attempts to just throw the whole thing away and say that human beings are basically good. Anarchism is essentially a liberal tradition. Uh, yeah. Human beings are, are, are good. We only become corrupted by the, by the political system that stands above us and we yeah. need to dismantle the state. Um, Whereas the conservative ideology gave birth to strong nationalism and in extreme cases, even fascism. Yeah. And uh, on the other side of that, you had uh, Marxism and communism and socialism and Maoism and fucking all the different variations. Leninism. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, African communism. Um, that all, all based on the idea that human beings are corrupted by the economic system and human beings are held in slavery to the economic yeah. system, which, so it was a, what we call a materialist view of political politics, which is, that's still around today. It's still 
doing pretty well in some areas. China, for one, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, so, but I'll, but I'll, I'll never forget the way Dr. Vollmerans uh, began this series of lectures on ideology with us um, in Pretoria. Was he'd say there are only so many assumptions that you can make about the human person as a political subject that range between violence and peace. Mm. That, that you, so in other, and the point I was trying to make was that they can only, that there is a finite number of ideologies you can have because there are only so many assumptions you can make about the human person. Yeah. There are only so many options of behavior in which they can choose. Yes, the circumstances can change and the way that they, the, the things that they apply their behavior to can change and that's what gives rise to a myriad of different ideologies, but they're going to exist within a finite spectrum. Mm. And, and his argument, uh, based on Michael Oakeshott's theory was that on the far left you had liberals and on the far right you had conservatives mm. everything else was in between and this you, I mean because there aren't 100% political ideologies because he assumes that you're making rational assumptions about humans there are people out there who are making completely crazy assumptions about humans so for instance if you make the assumption that human beings are actually the descendants of alien overlords who came here and built the pyramids and are eventually coming back for us well then you lead into a whole other way of running the political system which is cool I'm up for it. But. <laughs> maybe we should be maybe we should be discussing those ideologies in this podcast. <laughs> the crazy. They lend themselves we'll, to more science, popular um, sci-fi. Uh, we'll do a, we'll do a whole episode. I think we should. we should. We'll do a whole episode on crazy ideologies. The flying spaghetti monster. Um, yeah, and or there's also the one uh, David Ike or David Icky, depending on how you pronounce his name who proposed the conspiracy theory that all the world leaders are lizard people uh, <laughs> in, in the skins of humans. So all of them. Uh, the Queen is a big one. Michael Jackson was one. Oprah. Um, uh, Barack Obama, totally one. I, probably Donald Trump. And they're, they're part of the Illuminati. They, they are the Illuminati. And they control the world for, I don't know, lizard people reasons. I don't know why they do it, but they, they do it. So, you know, that opens up a whole other can of assumptions, you know, in a world where you're controlled by lizard people, what is the best way to run a welfare state? I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, but, um, yeah, so, so, so I think we've, give me, yeah. give me your, um, comparison of your best comparison. Take the time to think about it. Of, what, which society in popular culture do you think best represents a conservative society and which best represents uh, a liberal society? And pick an individual. It doesn't have to be from the same example, but pick an individual that embodies conservative ideas and, and use that to explain what conservative ideas are exactly. Well, see, it's, it's, it's so interesting because of the fact that our popular culture is largely written by Hollywood. Um, yeah. And Hollywood is hugely Super. liberal uh, most of our even our bad guys are liberal in a in a bad way you know yeah. iron man is he's still a liberal uh yeah. captain america is a liberal so what is a conservative society um well i mean is the em- the no i see even the empire is not conservative because they Unless you consider the emperor as, you know, because you'd have to expand it to the, uh, to, to, to the greater Star Wars canon. Um, the emperor is trying to recreate the old Sith Empire. Um, yeah. so in that way, he's a conservative. He's trying to conserve an old tradition. I would say, I, I, I would probably say that the empire is conservative. It's dictatorial. And, and just for the listeners out there, a conservative, uh, leadership does not have to be dictatorial. Um, it, yeah. it, it just in this case it is and I would imagine that in anything I mean look at the okay so the bad guys in uh, Hunger Games they're no they see the, the upper class is fuck ton liberal you know they're just doing whatever the yeah. fuck they want um, yeah. I suppose the the whole political association is pretty conservative you know everybody must stay in their place yes yes, um, yes, yes. and and uh, President Snow he's a cons- he's a conservative what about what about the real Naboo yeah, they're conservative, I would say. Uh, I'd say strict, like, they have a strict hierarchy. They've got a strict code of conduct. They've, they've got a strict way of doing things. They have a very formalized system. I wouldn't imagine it's very easy to kind of like break out of the mold in a, in the Nabooian society. 
Yeah, it's it, it's easy to recognize the democratic components. I think the political culture is uh, is quite open to democratic debate, and they're inclusive, but not necessarily liberal. They're actually quite Roman. Yeah, I think that that's probably what George Lucas modeled it on. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Padme, uh, you know, maybe not in her personal choices, but as a politician. She's, she's relative. Conservative. She's relatively conservative. You listen. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because we didn't get a full thing of her discussions in the Senate. Um, but she's she's conservative. She's appealing to yeah. like you know the old school ways of running the Galactic Empire. She opposes the Galactic Republic. She opposes yeah. all changes to yeah. to the Galactic Republic. Um, she you know she very begrudgingly gave Chancellor Valoran emergency powers. And um, I would say she's conservative, but it's it's difficult to find. I'm, I'm trying to think of, of what about um, Rick's society. Well, I mean, is that a society they keep trying to build a goddamn society and it falls apart every time? I don't think they have the time to actually t- construct an ideology. Uh, <laughs> well, so they in a very simplified form because it lends itself easily to this introductory episode. Uh, their simplified and shallow ideology is one of survival. And they protect each other and they look after each other's resources and they make sure that the group has the best chance of escaping death. And they 100% so, make the assumption that every other person in the world is a dick. So that way they are <laughs> definitely conservative. Yes. And that is a very conservative international relation to all foreign policy. Yeah. Everybody's um, a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yeah, you know, and everybody's got resources that I need. Yeah. And or you can never trust. The, the motives of any, of everybody else around you because they have power and you, you, you could, they, there's nobody who controls them and therefore we need to be as powerful as possible in case they ever do anything. That's a very conservative way of looking at international relations and it's the way that you would act in a zombie apocalypse. So perhaps our, our, the best conservative individual we could pick from popular culture is, what's his Rick's surname? Grimes. Um, but what about liberals? I mean, what's a liberal society? I, I, I oh, suppose dude, the, dude, Pandora is a liberal society. What, the tribal the, society? The Navi. Like, well, I don't know. Like, I, can you say that, though? They're, like, they're a tribal society. They're very... I'm talking like modern liberal, like a modern liberal society. Yeah, I agree with you that they're, they're a liberal society. Everybody's fucking running around with their ponytails out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... No... Yeah, the, tri- the, the, the tribalism does entrench the um, very uh, established cultural traditions and roles for people. Um, so the Navi, I think, would perhaps uh, lend themselves more to a conservative ideology. Um, and yeah, and they weren't that open to change. I mean, when they were asked to leave home tree, I think they, yeah. Recently and a lack, I mean, not, not a huge amount of personal... You know, they, obviously they had personal freedom, but I, I could imagine if any Navi was like, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go and join those soldier dudes and dig for ore because it's what I want to do. I couldn't imagine the government yeah. of the Navi being super happy. They'd just be like, what? No, fuck you, dude. You can't do that. There's no you, government. There's a chief. Well, they've got, that's a, gov- it's a form of government. Okay. It's a fucking, I'm sure they've got a council or something. Um, they didn't. They had the one old lady. But I'm trying to think like a, a true liberal society would be a. Star Trek. You know, would would be something that that is you, a utopian society. Yeah, it's Star Trek. Star Trek is is probably the most liberal society that you can have in popular. Culture. Okay, but that's yeah, that's easy. Um, and if you want to know more about it, go listen to what is it, episode six that we did with Nishi or ten. We did an episode on Star Trek and the utopian um, post scarcity economy. Yeah. Uh, what else? What about the society in Blade Runner? Oh, uh, dude, fuck that society. That's just a society on the brink of chaos. That's pretty liberal, yeah. I, you know what? The, yeah. the, uh, the Blade Runner society, in fact, those, those future movies, um, Blade Runner, uh, you know, the- iRobots. What's, uh, iRobots. Those are the view of a society a liberal society in the future from a present-day conservative. It's what yes. conservatives yes. fear a liberal society would be like. Yeah. You know, yeah, rampant yeah. rampant prostitution, rampant drug drugs, use, everything's just yeah. going crazy, which is where, whereas Star Trek is the view of a future liberal society by a liberal from today. A, um, yeah. 
and I don't know. I mean, we could probably just pull out this rubric forever. You don't, but yeah, that's, I mean, a lot of it is, is, is fear. You know, that's exactly, Blade Runner is a bad, a bad version of a, of a liberal society in the future. Cause it is liberal. It's just a shithole. So, so then who's our iconic liberal figure from popular culture? Uh, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I'd say Luke Skywalker. He's pro, he's pretty liberal. I would, I would. But in a sense, he, although he's trying to overthrow a regime and institute a free one, um, a one which would be, you know, uh, preserve, um, promotes and protects human freedom. He's also trying to go back, or in in a sense, he's trying to bring back what the how the galaxy was ruled under the Republic. So, in a way, you could make the case that he's a Republic conservative. I see. I don't think that Luke is really that concerned about like the future government of the Republic. I think he would be more. He just wants to overthrow the Sith. Yeah, he's concerned about destroying the Empire. After that, I could imagine Luke being like, uh, you know what, guys, I don't care. He would be concerned, very concerned about reestablishing the Jedi. Um, yeah, but I could imagine. Yeah, you're right. Mothma, leave the rest to Leia. Yeah, if Mon Mothma came to Luke and was like, "Okay, so we need you to come and uh, join the Council for the reestablishment of the Galactic Senate," he'd be like, "F to the no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going back to fucking Yavin, and I'm creating a Jedi Academy because fuck you and all your bullshit, Mon Mothma." <laughs> um, but uh, oh, I'm, I, so, I'm so excited for the Rogue Squadron. Yeah, that's going to be cool. But I also, I also think that Captain America is a pretty liberal dude. And, and the reason I say that is, is, is what I thought about when, when trying to come up with ideas for this episode is if you just ask them questions on policy, you know, you just said like, so, uh, Captain America, what do you feel should be our policy with regards to food stamps? Should we give people food stamps or should we just provide them with a cash payment in order to supplement their income? I could imagine him being like, you know, people are generally good. I believe that people will spend the money correctly. Give them cash. Give the cash to the people. Um, and, you know, Captain America, what's your stance on uh, liberalized free trade? Um, yes, anything that brings the world leaders closer together. Let's go. Do it. It is almost a, a 1940s uh, naive soldier's view of, of the world. Um yeah, he does embody those kinds of beliefs. But to to build on that and to compare him to Rick Grimes, because the point of this episode is to sort of distill or condense the the beliefs of of the liberal ideology versus the conservative one, mm. is where conservatives would look at people and say there is a high chance of conflict. We need to promote. We, we need to establish a societal, a political order that will prevent harm being done, and anything that challenges that order needs to be thoroughly discussed first. It's not that we're going to automatically say no to the change, but mm. it, it needs to be a slow, progressive, deliberate change that minimizes the risk of um, of increasing harm. Mm. So it's a, it's a very slowly progressive society, if at all. Um, yeah. doesn't automatically need to uh, progress or change, but it doesn't welcome change automatically. It needs to be a very good reason for that change, because they assume that, you know, everybody out there is in league with each other, trying to steal my guns, trying to kill my people, uh, and, I need, and I'm not going to change the system of governance because it could risk death, death exactly. for the people that I'm responsible for. Exactly. So you can understand where Rick Grimes is coming from. Yeah, no, totally. And But you could imagine, um, put Captain America in the world of The Walking Dead. Uh, well, put yeah. Steve Rogers. Take take away his yeah. powers. Put Steve yeah. Rogers there with uh, Rick Grimes, and they're both yeah. discussing what to do about a new settlement that they've just come across. You can yeah. imagine Steve Rogers being like, "Well, let's go talk to them. They're, they're probably good people. We'll we'll just have a chat, and maybe they'll join us. Maybe or maybe we can get along." Whereas Rick would be like, "Are you fucking insane? What if they What if they kill us? We need to scout. We need to." to build yeah. up our defenses and then we need to go in in force with yeah. a fucking sniper watching us yeah. you know yeah. if we go we need to have a plan we need to have a plan we need to have a negotiation we need to have uh, deliberate you know um, resources that we're prepared to lose over this yeah. and to place, place on the risking platter but yeah there's always an exit strategy exactly so now well, think, whereas on in the liberal camp the, the assumption is that people are, are, are good they're cooperative they're peaceful and, you know, they can fight, but we trust that at the end of the day, that fight will be for good. There'll be uh, some sort of development, positive development that comes out of it. Um, and so we need to 
And um, we're not keen on building a structure. We want to let people be free and do what they want to do because we trust them to do the right thing. Yeah. But if something were to go wrong, we need some means of justice, uh, some restorative justice that can take things back to the way they were and make sure that we learn from it and that we can improve society from our experiences. And both but, sides um, can yeah. have highly negative consequences if done in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if... Um, if Rick Grimes was transported back to the 1940s United States, you'd, you'd think that he would perhaps become a lot more like Steve Rogers and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, this, I think, leads us very nicely into a full discussion of liberalism and uh, conservatism that we'll, we'll do in the next episode, I think, because it allows us to really jump into both ideologies and... And flesh out their... Yeah, yeah and talk sense. about them and, and provide examples about you know, when they've succeeded and when they've completely fucked up. Because I think a good example of what you were just talking about is, uh, uh, you know, Neville Chamberlain and Woodrow Wilson in their in their uh, um, appeasement policy of Adolf Hitler, both fairly liberal and both expecting that Hitler would eventually do the right thing. Whereas, yeah. you know, if Roosevelt yeah. had been president at the time, he, he might have made a better decision. Uh, but I, yeah. you know, we, we'll, I think we'll provide examples of both sides, but we are way over time now. <laughs> oh, wait, but I've got, okay, so this is the closing thought. Yeah. I found the best liberal society. It's Hogwarts. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the best anarchist society is Mad Max. And okay. the best communist or socialist society, let's go with socialist society for now, is Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, see, it's difficult to call it socialist because it doesn't have an economic system. So it kind yes, of... Yes, but that's what I want to talk about in the next episode. Okay, cool. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, remember to send us any emails if you do want us to discuss a specific ideology for you. But uh, look forward to the next um, episodes of this um, of the series. And we're getting excited to discuss it. Thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed that. If you did not access this via our website, landsofleviathan.com, then please visit the site to find other materials such as all of our other ACOS tracks and articles. And if you'd like any updates on the website, please don't be shy to subscribe to our RSS feed that is also there. We also look forward to hearing your comments and feedback. So send us an email at landsoftheviathan at gmail.com. It's L-A-N-D-S-O-F-L-E-V-I-A-T-H-A-N. And you can also find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and if you didn't listen to that directly then you can find it on Acast or any Acast supporting app such as iTunes. Hope you enjoyed it guys. Thanks so much. The battle outside raging will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls. Oh, the times they are a-changing.